Welcome to Toku Secrets. Join us as we journey into the marvelous world of Super Sentai, Kamen Rider, Power Rangers, and many other Tokusatsu. Get ready for the adventure of a lifetime. It's Morphin' Time! Link to the Morphin' I'm Nathan Desai, the dazzling adventurer, Vulcan Silver. And I'm Rizwan Merkin, Gokai Red. And I'm Anthony Davis, also known as Curie Green. And we're Toku Secrets. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Tokyo Secrets Podcast, presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I'm your host, Nathan DeSaab, Boken Silver. I'm Rizwan Merchant, Gokai Red. Anthony Davis, Kyoryu Green. And guys, do you know what time it is? No, it's what's morphin' time! time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, good news, guys. Uh, we've we've gone through some rough stuff this year. We threw a Sentai, but I'm not going to mention by name because I don't want to... Bad thoughts. Then we went to and through another Sentai that wasn't quite as bad as that, but it was still pretty bad. Well, thankfully, we're going to be looking at some uh, pretty uh, much better stuff uh, in 2023, starting with this. We're not going to be, we are doing another Sentai very soon, but we're going to take a break from that. We have the three of us here uh, to take a look at something we've been hyping up for quite a bit. It is called Power Rangers, the audio drama. And we are only taking a look at season one. Uh, just a little bit of background info. Uh, this is published by, uh, his name is uh, Carl Dutton, who owns, uh, uh, on YouTube, it's called Scyther Inc. So, it's Scyther Audio, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he, and you know, he does, um, it's basically a fan creation. It's more of a modernized and more mature reimagining of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He also does one, uh, I don't know if he's still doing it or not, but he did one for the X-Men, which I'm, yeah. ass- I'm assuming is for the 90s animated series it, that came out. It, but- it kind of is, but I'll go into that in a minute um, once you finish doing a little bit of background. Now, we're taking a look at season one. It premiered in November of 2018, and they have one episode come out a month, and it finished in August of 2020. Now... Uh, Two, uh, two seasons have been completed, and there are three seasons, although season three is currently on hold uh, in wake of a certain event, which is I'm going to use that to transition. Uh, we are doing this in the midst of the Screen Actors Guild and Writers Guild strikes, and we do want to make it clear that we stand with those people. Now, thankfully, as literally the day that this is being recorded, it does appear as if a tentative agreement has been reached with the Writers Guild strike that has ended it, but the Screen Actors Guild strike still remains ongoing. We stand with those people, and anytime we review something Hollywood produced, we don't do it to promote the Hollywood stuff. We do it to show our appreciation for the hard work of the writers and actors without whose hard work shows and other stuff such as this would not be possible. Yeah, and I want to take a quick moment here to mention... As far as I understand it, certain members of the audio drama cast are parts of the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild. Oh, so okay. this would this does affect them in some way. I don't know which members are part of it, but I have heard on Twitter and Discord that members of this production were impacted, which is why our team thought it was pertinent to mention the strike um, in support of these guys as well. Yep. Yep. Um, I do want to kind of take over Nate's reel here for a second. Um, yeah, of course. So 
the audio drama is something I discovered. Well, look, I first heard about it mid last year. And the context I heard about it was in reference to when I was listening to another Power Ranger podcast called The Power Trip, hosted by Nathan Marchand and uh, Michael Hamilton. And those guys referenced the crap out of the audio drama and every review they did. So they were reviewing all 29 seasons of Power Rangers plus the movies. And during the Mighty Morphin uh, reviews and and a couple of other reviews throughout, they referenced events in the audio drama. And when I first heard about it, I didn't understand what this was. I thought I had missed out on some kind of Saban release or Hasbro or Bandai or somebody. But when I finally finished the Power Trip season one and I was looking for something new, I looked into the audio drama and found out Carl Dutton is a really well-known uh, audio drama producer. He's done the X-Men audio drama, which is based a little bit on the 90s X-Men cartoon, but it also follows a lot of comic book plots from different eras of the X-Men throughout the decades. Um, I'm not a hu- I'm not that huge of an X-Men aficionado to know what era everything comes from or what stories are being pulled from where, but definitely we are pulling um, a lot from comics, a lot from the TV show, and it is also fantastic. I've listened to all the seasons of that. Carl Dutton has done an amazing job on two really good productions. I'm, I'm told he has a couple of others. I haven't listened to them yet, but I will one day. Um, they also made, like Nate said, there are three seasons of Power Rangers audio drama. And during season three, some events start happening that'll lead to a backdoor pilot for the Mass Rider audio drama. Not by Carl Dutton, but by, I think his name is Sam Cochrane. I'll have to go look it up again. But he, uh, you might recognize him in season two as the voice of Sad, who yeah. you, you won't know who that is right now, but you'll understand after the season two review. But yeah, Carl's amazing. Um, at some point, when the strike has kind of calmed down, I want to invite him on here to talk about this work as well and what he's done here. But for right now, it's just the three of us talking about the audio drama and celebrating what I think of the three or four renditions that we've had of Mighty Morphin throughout the 30 years, this might be the best rendition of them all. I agree. Okay, so we're going to jump in. Um, Now we're going to look at uh, every season is 12 episodes. Now before we start, uh, for those who haven't seen the audio drama, um, we just there's going to be some spoilers here. It's been out for five years, so you know, so there's that. So, if you want to avoid spoilers, go ahead and uh, you know, just go check out those 12 episodes. I mean, you can come back and check it out, and uh, but it, it unless you don't mind spoilers, and if you don't want and if you want to avoid spoilers, you can 
um, just skip ahead to like, you know, us just talking about the series in general and uh, uh, we'll be, uh, we'll uh, try to remember to uh, leave a link in the description of it. You can check it out on Spotify or YouTube. Just, uh, you know, make sure that you yeah. check it out if you want to avoid spoilers. Yeah, it's on Spotify and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Yep. Just like how Tokyo Secrets is on all kind of media like YouTube, Spotify, Apple, the audio drama is everywhere too. So it's wherever yep. you feel most comfortable listening to podcasts or music. All right, so let's jump in. We got a lot to talk about because there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with this. So uh, we're going to start off with uh, episode one, which is simply called The Chosen. Uh, so to kind of, uh, you know, cut this whole thing short. So uh, most of this episode is told from the point of view of a character that pretty much ev every Power Ranger fan should know the name of, Jason Lee Scott. Uh, that name sounds pretty familiar, but I just said so myself. Uh, yeah, that name's familiar. I know that name from somewhere. So he's a martial arts enthusiast. You know, he's won a lot of trophies. Uh, he lives in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, we find out that, like, he was on vacation in California, and he met uh, another familiar name named Kimberly Hart. Uh, he has a crush on her and, uh, you know, is keeping her phone number. And uh, one day while he's out uh, with one of his friends, Andrew Daly, he hears this mysterious force calling to him, and he finds the Tyrannosaurus power coin, and that takes him to the command center, and he gets teleported when he finds the power coin. And while at the command center, he meets uh, four teenagers who have found power coins. So we have, uh, and you should know all these names, uh, Billy Cranston has found the Triceratops power coin. Zach Taylor has found the Mastodon power coin. Trini Kwan has found the Sabertooth Tiger power coin, and Kimberly Hart, whom Jason met, has found the Pterodactyl power coin. Uh, these five teenagers meet the robot Alpha 5, and they also meet Zordon, who is this uh, interdimensional being from Eltar. Uh, his world has been ruled over what is called the uh, Zedorian Empire. It's ruled by Emperor Zed. And his empire has been going all over the galaxy, destroying planets, including Zordon's planet, Eltar. And he's targeting Earth now because Earth is where power coins are, and Zed wants their power coins. And he sent uh, one of his generals, whose name is Rita Bondora. Uh, we'll talk about some of the references in a little bit. But pretty much uh, they... Uh, the forces, the foot soldiers are called golems instead of putties, so they're called golems like how they were in G-Ranger. Uh, they attack Washington, D.C., uh, slaughtering innocent people, and after these teenagers hesitate for a little bit, they decide, okay, you know, the world needs us, and they morph into Power Rangers. They fight off the forces uh, that are led by Goldar and Scorpina. They force them to retreat, and... The episode ends with Zordon and Alpha claiming that they've discovered where the Ranger Zords are, and they return home to rest, and basically everybody goes home. So, uh, this is an Easter eggs. Uh, so, the main ship for Rita's forces is called the Repulsa, which is a reference to Rita's name, Rita Repulsa, in the original. 
Uh, like I said, Rita's name has been changed to Rita Bondora, which is a mix of her Power Rangers name and her G Ranger name because we just finished watching G Ranger. You'll know that her name is Bondora there. Yep. Uh, here's something that I like uh, Goldar and Scorpina are married, just like Reforzer and Lamy. I love that. I don't know why they didn't adapt that into Power Rangers, and it's it's really great. Um, like I said, the soldiers are called golems, which are the names of the putties in G-Ranger. A bit of a funny reference is that at one point, Zack calls Zordon Zoltar. Uh, Zoltar was actually Zordon's original name in the uh, original unaired Day of the Dumpster pilot when yep. uh, when Trini was a different actress. I think her name was Audrey Deboy. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and then finally... Uh, the ranger suits are described to be armor-like, and they have chest logos that are like larger versus power. So we can basically assume that the suits look exactly how they look like in the 1995 movie, because yeah. in the, in the main series they don't have those things on their chest. So basically, the suits for the rangers are the 1995 suits minus the white ranger. Yeah. Now, one thing about the suits that I think is interesting as well. Yes, they look like the 95 movie suits. Um, but I think functionality-wise, we're borrowing elements from the 2017 movie in terms of all the tech that these suits have in them and capabilities that they have. I think they, I think that's the reference we get there with that. Okay. Um, at least that's how I view it. I might be wrong, um, but in my opinion, the suits are a mix of 95 aesthetic with some capability and functionality from the 2017 mo movie. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. Yeah. But but they do. Uh, the Rangers do have their power weapons from the main series because you might know in the in the 95 movie. Uh, the only weapon from the show that appears is Saba. Um, but here, you know, J Jason has his power sword, Kimberly has her power bow, and etc. I don't think I ever combine them to form the power blaster in this, no. which sucks, but it's still still cool to include those power weapons. Yeah. So a couple of things. I'm going to give my first initial thoughts here, just to yeah. kind of set the stage on some stuff that people might be curious about. So, hearing all this, you guys in the viewership of this podcast might be wondering, this sounds great, but how does it work, right? And so, the way this works is, it's a podcast, audio drama. Um, they've hired multiple actors to play the different roles. But the thing that I think really sold me on episode one, beyond the fact that this is Power Rangers related is that we have a lot of the sounds, sound effects, music, and background noises that you would find in the 95 movie, the TV show, and just, it's all kinds of nostalgia, but they build it so well that this literally feels like something that Saban made. Yep. Well, better than what Saban made, because I'm not going to insult Carl by calling it Saban-level work. Right. Um. But yeah, he, he's able to use all these different parts 
of what made Power Rangers Power Rangers in his own way. And in my opinion, this episode cements the fact that this is something to at least take a look at beyond episode one. Definitely. But I kind of want to hear from you guys more. Uh, I know we've talked a little bit in private in the past, but what were your, what were your first thoughts listening to this? Because I think of the three of us, I'm the only one who's really listened to audio drama style podcasts before this. Yeah, I was, uh, I was kind of like, you guys saw it before me because like, yeah. you know, I think, and I was kind of skeptical of it because I don't listen to audio dramas that much. But like when I watched the first episode, like literally from like the starting gate, I was totally blown away. Cause like, I can recognize all these people's voices, which by the way, are you sure that they didn't get Austin St. John to voice? Dude, Cause he sounds, exactly, he sounds exactly, like exactly like him. Exactly like him. Yeah. Which that, that like just totally blew my mind. But like, yeah, everything about this, like, okay, I can't see anything, but I mean, I I can tell what's going on. I like how, like, during the fight scenes, like, they literally have, like, punching and, like, you know, sound effects that would take place during an action scene. I love how whenever something epic happens, they start playing the go, go, Power Rangers thing, like, like how they do in the actual show. Like, everything just totally blew me away. Like, there's a reason why... Literally, when I finished, I sent Riz a text. I'm like, bro, bro. Like, dude, that I was just totally blown away by it. Dude, I, I, I listened to this podcast on my drive to work and back every day. I listen to it just literally anytime I drive, uh, just to try and get through it all. And man, it this, this is such a powerful series. And I was just blown away. I was, Literally, Nate, I was the one going bro in the car. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I need to talk to somebody, but none of y'all had heard about it. And I tried for months to get y'all to listen. I got Anthony in for a little bit in the beginning, but it took a little bit of prodding there, too. It did, yeah. But I actually listened to it while I was at work myself. I had like yeah. one earbud in because, of course, I couldn't have both in, but I was still able to hear things and hear people talking to me. So I can yeah. multitask that. But yeah, so I think some of the really cool parts of this is that these teenagers are not all from California. They're not all from Angel Grove, like how they are in the TV show and the movie and everything else. They're literally all over the country. We got Billy somewhere yep. in, I think, South California. You yep. got Kimberly in Angel Grove. You got Jason in Chicago. Zach's in New Jersey, and Trini is in... New York. New York. York. Yeah. And like Nate said, these voice actors really hit it home. The only voice actor who sounds even a little bit different than the original would be Trini. Mm -hmm. But I think Trini's voice is a little bit more personality-wise... A mix of the 90s Trini and a mix of the 2017 Trini. Yep. That's funny you say that because I felt that way about Kimberly. I don't know. It's just, I don't, I would have no ill will towards the actress who voices her. I have no, like, I'm not saying I hate the voice. It's just, I'm not really feeling the voice. Like, I would, like, you know, I feel like her, her voice feels kind of off to me. 
because I'm expecting to hear a Valley Girl, but I'm can't yeah. I'm not really hearing that with her. Well, she's doing I, a fantastic job, but I, I just oh, yeah. you know, it, it just well, Kimberly's lack of Valley Girl accent didn't bug me because her personality is still so on point with the '90s. Yep. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, hundred percent. This is the '90s, Kimberly. We're listening to. And Zordon and Alpha sound amazing. Like how they did that, really awesome to me. And then it's what's funny is I say that, but I I love Horse Corp because because this this actress does plays two roles. She plays both Kimberly and she plays Scorpina. Yeah, and I say wow, like she did a fantastic job as Scorpina in my personal opinion. Oh, that ends up kind of happy. That ends up kind of being a little ironic, given some of that we're going to be taking a look at. Oh later. God. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk. We'll get there. When we get, yeah, there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. But yikes! Um, so I didn't realize that. I did. So the other thing I like is the world building we have going on here. Um, we have very strong world building because in the first episode, we're given all these quick Easter egg drops of like, oh, Lord Zed, the Zedorian Empire. Um, the power coins are one of many sets of powers. Um, so we're getting a lot of different like inklings to things in the general Power Rangers universe, but not normally stuff that you would hear in episode one, right? But so they're really kind of hammering home. This is a really big world. There's a lot going on that we don't understand right now. And quite frankly, there's a lot of stuff you don't understand until season three, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, because a lot of origins come out and then, but man, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there, there when I, we get there. Yeah. But what would we want to give the first episode out of 10? Um, is a 10 out of 10 to, uh, I mean, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10 just cause it blew me away. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've listened to this twice now, episode one. I had to. And yeah, I, I got to tell you, I thought the second time I, I listened to it, I'd probably be like, oh, okay, this is fun. This is still fun. But no, I still had all the hype. Like when the yeah. Go Go Power Rangers song started playing in the background, I was like, Go Go Power Rangers. And I was really mm -hmm. into it. I was like, I was like fist pumping in while driving. That's not safe to do, man. But <laughs> I was doing it. Anthony, what about you? Oh, I'll definitely give it a 10 out of 10. Because like yep. it, like I said, I'm so glad you introduced me to this because I'm like, dude, this was this was amazing. Yeah. So uh now we're gonna move on to episode two, uh Zord Quest. Um so uh for starters, uh the next couple of episodes show us how the other four rangers obtain their power coins. Uh so this episode kicks off revealing us how uh, Kimberly, uh, she actually skipped school because she felt the coin uh, calling to her in the Angel Caves, which is a location in Angel Grove, California, which that's where she lives with her parents. And she found the pterodactyl power coin. Uh, we actually find out in the present day, uh, which is like a week after the events of the first episode, that she has a friend. He's this new kid in Angel Grove. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if uh, you guys have heard of this guy's name. Uh, his name is uh, Tommy Oliver. 
Who the heck is that, Nate? Never heard of him. I feel like I should know that. Um, (laughs) Which, yeah, they show signs of romantic attraction, which, I mean, if you're a Power Rangers fan, you need to know that. So, um, she gets, uh, she actually gets in trouble. You know, she's put in detention for skipping school, which that's something that I love, how we see the Rangers actually deal with issues related to, uh, you know, their personal lives, like having to get, go to detention or something, which they never did in Mighty Morphin. They they actually did that a couple of times in Dino Thunder. Like, I remember once uh, Ethan and Kira had to go to detention because they were late for school while fighting a monster. I yeah. remember that in one episode. Yeah. Uh, so Zordon and Alpha discover the Ranger Zords, um, which uh, here's the first reference. Uh, all of the Ranger Zords locations are based off of uh, where their Zords appear from. Um, you know, in G Ranger, like, you know, when they summon the Zords. So um, the Sabertooth Tiger is in the jungle of South America. The Mastodon is under um, ice in Antarctica. Triceratops is in the Sahara Desert. The Tyrannosaurus is under the Grand Canyon. And Pterodactyl is in a Hawaiian volcano. Uh, everyone gets sent on their Zord quest. Uh, Zach discovers his Mastodon Zord first. Uh, Trini discovers her Sabertooth Tiger Zord. She dubs her Zord Kitty Zord, which is adorable. adorable. Yeah. Uh, uh, Billy and Jason. Uh, Billy finds his off screen. He's just seen unlocking it, and Jason discovers his near the end. Um, and uh, Kim is uh, she also discovers her Zord, and uh, but they're all forced to split up because Rita has unleashed things called battle suits. I'm not sure. I think the battle suits are some in original because I'm not sure. It's original. They're that's yeah. original. Yeah. So that's an original thing by just these giant creatures. Although. Maybe you could say, and this is probably not intentional, but like maybe they're kind of based off of like the like the mega mega Zord gimmick thing from GoBusters, but that's probably not what the that's a it's similar to that concept, I guess. You, you could, could say. say that it could, um, but the reason we're getting battle suits, I think, and this is something we didn't really talk about in episode one, um. Bandora is trying to amass an army to take over the world. Yep. And they have a very limited amount of play to make monsters and golems from. Yeah. And so they can't use up a lot of it. So I'm guessing they're supplementing their monster making needs with battle suits when they, when they can to preserve the monster play that they have. And I also like the fact that these aren't just like, oh, she's going to set out a monster, they fight the monster, boom, they win, they go home. No, this is like a full-on scale invasion. Like, yeah. she's going everywhere. Not She's not just attacking like just one location like she did in the show. This is like on a global scale. Like, Rita is a Avengers-level threat. That's how serious they're taking it. Yeah. So they have attacks in Moscow, Hong Kong, London. Yep. Yep. Um, and they fight, they fight off the attacks, but then this tentacle creature emerges, and that's how the episode ends. Yeah. Um, a couple of references aside from uh, the um, one, 
uh, that I just mentioned. Uh, Miss Appleby appears. She was a recurring character during the Zordon era. She appeared in at least one episode. Uh, I don't know if she appeared in Zeo, but I do know she was in one episode of Turbo, and she was in like every episode of my. She was in like at least one episode of every Mighty Morphin season. Uh, yeah. Um, the Zords are actually called Guardian Beasts. The Rangers just opt to call them Zords, but their original ancient name is Guardian Beasts which is what they were called in G-Ranger. Uh, we actually learn uh, when Trini gets her Zord, uh, she is briefed on some of the Zord's history, and she actually finds out that this Yellow Ranger was uh, uh, male, and his name was Boy. Very clearly a reference to her G-Ranger counterpart, and it's also used to explain why uh, Trini's suit doesn't have a skirt, unlike Kimberly's. Yeah, no. And in a lot of ways, you, this basically softly canonizes the Jew Ranger characters, uh, which that could possibly be in connection to the fact that they used untransformed footage of in both Happy Birthdays Act and Green with Evil Part Two, where they identified Goshi as like one of Zordon's warriors. So maybe they're going off of that, just saying like, hey, I mean, they canonized Goshi technically, so. Yeah. Maybe we could have it so like he was the previous Black Ranger, and then so Geki would be the previous Red Ranger, and that poor Red Ranger suit. <laughs> the poor Red yeah. Ranger suit. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Although I, and again, I mean, you can say what you will about the G Ranger as G Rangers as characters, but them being canonized as like ancient Power Rangers, I mean, that's actually pretty cool. That's really badass, and that brings us back to what we were talking about in the. It was either in the Mighty Morphin podcast we did or in the Zero Ranger podcast series we did. I don't remember where I said it, but I remember talking a good bit about how the fact that we do have Gosi appear in Mighty Morphin in those episodes you mentioned, Nate, mm -hmm. that also soft canonizes the Zero Ranger team as a team of Rangers in this continuity which is a bridge between Sentai and Rangers that I don't think Saban really thought about because they're just trying to save money on footage. Yeah. So I, I just think it's a really cool like nod to accepting that, hey, the Sentai stuff did happen in some way or shape or form. Yeah. yeah. Now, I will say Trini is an amazing person for her interactions with the Sabertooth Tiger Zord. Yeah. And Anthony, I, I, we can't, we can't go any further without doing the thing. See the line. <laughs> Mastodon, get your ass out here. Yeah. <laughs> Zach is hilarious. I know this happens in a later episode. But we just had to mention it now. Uh, in the future, whenever Zach calls on the Mastodon um, Zord, he says stuff like, Mastodon, get your ass out down here now. Yeah, Zach is hilarious. Zach is really is. Like... I forgot to mention this part in the first episode, something that just really made me laugh. Like, uh, like Zach asks, uh, Zach adds sort of like, like what is up with these dinosaur powerpoints or something like that? And then Billy's all like, um, technically, uh, your uh, your coin and Trini's coin aren't dinosaurs. And then 
Zach goes all like, yeah, man, whatever, nerd, shut up. <laughs> oh, my other favorite part from episode one is when Zach's trying to figure out how to morph. And he's like, Wooly man, mammoth. Ma- mammoth power. Wooly mammoth power. Ah, hell. Yeah, that's hilarious. Let's try Mastodon. Mastodon power. <laughs> hell yeah. That's awesome. It, it was so great. I, I loved it. I just think Zach was... Zach is the truest to what Walter uh, portrayed, I think. Yeah. Like, that is such a one-to-one uh, writing of the character and ability in the acting. Oh, big facts. Yeah. But uh, I don't... As for episode two as a whole, I mean, I... I well, first of all, I think it's really awesome that you know they all have to go on quest to find their individual swords. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I would probably say that like maybe this episode did like since I was already blown away and like so preoccupied with how much the first episode was, like that maybe this episode didn't blow my mind as much, but it's still like a very solid episode. Like, I really enjoy it. Well, I think. I think the beauty of these first four or five episodes is we unlock different aspects of Power Rangers slowly, right? Like episode one, we get them to morph and that's it. Episode two, they find their Zords, but they don't make a Megazord. Episode three, sorry for the spoilers, but we build the Megazord for the first time. And so we're just kind of slowly building up what they're capable of um, as we go without really jamming it all in like episode one. Yep. Because remember, the first three episodes of this audio drama is literally data dumpster. Mm-hmm. So... It's nice that we're, we're breaking it up. It's nice that these characters are getting some kind of repercussions for their actions, despite how good it is. Like, Kimberly's in detention. Uh, they're all trying to call her. By the way, the group decided to uh, exchange cell phone numbers, and they all set their ringtone for Ranger business to the traditional uh, communicator noise from the 90s. Yep. Which I think is amazing. Uh, what do we want to give this one uh, out of 10? Okay, so the hype part of me wants to continue a 10 train, but I also recognize that, yeah, some of the initial wow factor did wear off just a little bit. It's still very much present. So this is going to be a 9.5 or higher. Yeah, I'm going to do a 9.5. Yeah, I'll give it a 9. All right, cool. Um, now, the next one, 5 to 1. Uh, this one is actually, I think it's a little bit shorter than some of the other ones. Yeah. But it b- basically, the, the bigger point of it is that uh, they, so they're finding the tentacle monster that appeared at the end of the previous episode. And they discovered their ability to form, uh, to activate the Zord's combined form. It is called Daijujin, which is the name of the Megazord in 
uh, G Ranger, but Trini, they can't remember how to pronounce Daijujin because they find it to be a complicated name. So they say, <laughs> let's just call it Megazord. Um, and that was it. So uh, they defeat the uh, the monster. And then at the end of the episode, uh, Rita reveals that she has her own coin, the dragon power coin. Ooh. But, hmm. but, but more importantly, um, this episode shows us, like, from the character perspective, uh, we're shown how Zach obtained his power coin. Uh, he lives in Edmonton, New Jersey. He was at an antique store looking for a birthday present for his grandmother. Uh, this mysterious man who you guys are going to want to remember this character because he's very important later on. Kind of a spoiler yeah. there. But, yeah. Uh, he he sold him the power coin. Um that's how he got the power coin. Uh, and then at the end of this episode, uh, Trini gives Zach a new birthday present, a gemstone, so that, you know, he doesn't have to, um, since, you know, he can't give her the power coin anymore. Then he try, but then when he goes to the shop again, it's disappeared and no one has any memory of it. But the mysterious shopkeeper is watching him. So that's very important. Mysterious. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I like, I think the best parts of this episode are just, uh, you know, mostly just showing Zach's backstory and like what he does. Because, I mean, the rest of it, you know, just forming the Megazord and like reviewing the dragon coin. Like, I don't know, like this, honestly, this might be the most forgettable of the season one episodes. I mean, first of all, I think it's actually a lot shorter than some of the other episodes. And I mean, it, it's still great. You know, I love how they form the Megazord and you have the go, go power Rangers thing playing in the background during the fight. So nothing I'm going to say about like, even the worst parts of this audio drama are still better than like, they're probably still on par with like some of the best things and some of the best seasons of power Rangers, like the worst parts of the, this audio drama. So I, I don't want to say the worst because that would imply that it's bad, which it isn't. I can't yeah. say that. But what do you guys think? Yeah, this episode, it's not un its not forgettable to me. I actually thought, you know, it was a nice way to, like the episode title says, five to one. Yep. So this episode might be a little bit shorter, but the thing I like about the audio drama is we're not, we're not contained to 20 minute episodes. We can have something be an hour long, like episode one, and I think maybe episode two. And then you can have something that's 20, 30 minutes long, like this one. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it because there's no filler. And so we're getting all straight plot without having to worry about the hindrance of oh, no, we need to pad another half an hour of content here, you know? Like, we just do what we need to do, and we get it done. Yep. Also, um, I realized this. Uh, in When they're doing the flashbacks of how they all, like, do their PowerPoint slash uh, each Raiders background, it reminds me of what they did in Google Power Rangers when in the comic books. Um, in... The Google Power Rangers line is like, like, like it, it's like uh, an issue where like it's basically them be first becoming Rangers and like 
it's kind of like an origin story somewhat, but it's also like just maybe they're, they're like their first year becoming Rangers. And little by little on each different issue, they give us backstory on each of the Rangers. Like, you know, one day it'll be Billy's turn, then it'll be Jason, Zach, Trini, and Kimberly all together. Yep. And also uh, in the comics, this is actually a reference from the comics, uh, Trini actually calls uh, her Zora Kitty in, in the Google Power Rangers uh, series. So that's the reference they got that from. Oh, oh from the comics? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. cool. And I love how they spend these first couple of episodes just like giving the backstories because I I love it when it, I don't know if a Power Ranger season has done it yet, but like um I love it when Sentai does that where like they spend the first couple of episodes where like each episode like sets up a backstory, like um <clears throat> Kind of a slight spoiler when we uh, when we review this Sentai, but like Bo Kinger is a perfect example. The first five episodes establish the backstories of how each of the Bo Kingers became Bo Kingers since they're already a team at the beginning of a series. Like episode five, one for Bo and Black, episode two for Yellow, three for Blue, four for Red, five for Pink, uh, and even the um, even the uh, the Time Ranger, which we're going to be taking a look at. That also kind of. A, the first couple of episodes set up the backstories uh, for the Rangers. Like Anthony can back me up there since I've yeah. seen those first couple of episodes. So, and I'm not going to spoil anything else. So I, but yeah, I really love how the audio drama kind of, you know, fits with that format. Honestly think that every Power Ranger series and every Super Sentai series should stick to that format. Oh yeah. First yeah. five. If you have five rangers or three, you know, if you're a Jungle Fury, RPM, Ninja Storm S team, like the first five, three episodes, you need to, you you can have like one episode where they all become rangers and then the next couple of episodes just establishes the backstories of each of these rangers. Yep. I just wish that more series would stick to that. Um. But yeah, I'm pro I'm I'm gonna bring the five to one thing down just a little bit. I'm gonna give it a nine just because like and the reason why I'm giving it a nine is because I love everything about this with like Zach's backstory is something that I enjoy. So there's yeah. and again I, I this series has blown me away so much that it's blasphemy for me to give this thing anything lower than an eight, to be honest, which I'm just gonna tell you that. I can't think of a single episode that goes below a nine for me. Yeah, me neither. Just just a spoiler for those that are y'all listening back home. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be a nine for me. Definitely. Nine as well for me as well. All right, so the next episode is called The Search. Uh, so first off, uh, we find out how Billy discovered his power coin. Uh, he lives in Sacramento. California, and he was touring um, some ancient ruins uh, while his trip to Mexico, and that's how he found the Triceratops power coin. So that's pretty cool. Uh, now we pick up in the present day, uh, two months after the first episode. Uh, most of this is just setup stuff. Uh, for starters, we uh, kind of get a bit of uh, some uh, internal drama with the with the team uh the rangers all go to a party at kim's house uh, you know uh and they meet tommy and 
keep in mind, Jay, Tommy and Kim have kind of a romantic thing going on, and Jason has a crush on Kim. You guys can do the math there. There's a there's very clear frustration, um, and they uh, and uh, Tommy and Kim actually uh, kiss in this episode, and Tommy questions where they stand. And this all ends up having a bit of a, this all ends up kind of adding up to the end where Bondora is trying to find an adequate host for her green power coin. And uh, she actually discovers Kim's identity through her ship's computer. And while spying on Kim, she picks her target for the coin, Tommy. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah, so let's let's expand a little bit about how Bandora figured out it was Kim. And yeah, it's very I, interesting. I love it's this. Very, it's such a smart way to go about it. Like this shows Bandora to be somebody who's not just a raging, ah, I have a headache ah, all the time. Like she's actually very clever and very resourceful and downright frightening. Yes. So Jason and Kim have their little tension because of Tommy, but also the Rangers by this point in episode four, they're starting to feel the pressure from the world because nobody knows who they are. Nobody understands what's going on. All they see are these teenagers that were, well, they don't even know they're teenagers. They see these humanoid figures in armor running in to save the world anywhere the evil comes and these dinosaur robots that they control come and help them when the monsters get too big that's all the world knows they don't even know that they're called power rangers they don't know anything so jason's frustration has been building because he wants to set the record straight that they're here to help they're not the ones that brought the monsters they're just here to defend the world and this is a very big plot throughout the remainder of the audio drama that the world is trying to learn to trust the rangers, which is very different from what we get in the 90s TV show because almost immediately everyone's like, oh my God, the Power Rangers saved us. Oh my God, they're so great. No one even bats an eye and wonders, you know, like, oh, are these the bad guys? Are they playing the game, what's going on here? Like, it was just immediate hero worship in the 90s. So having this the way it was is really good. And Jason, with all the frustration building up, yells at Kimberly, and Bandora had reporters out there listening to the uh, fight to try and identify somebody. So see, here's the name Kimberly notes down that they're in California. So see, hacks into the database of the world and determines, okay, these guys sound like kids, so they can't be that old. Let's put in, let's look for all the Kimberleys in this range of California. Let's sort the range down to Angel Grove. Let's do all this different stuff. And they finally find Kimberly. They match her social media video clips that Vulcan Skull took of her to the audio they took. And it's a one-to-one -one match. And she says, by Joe, 
I found her. Now it's time to find the other four. And yeah. that's a level of ingenuity that we don't get in Mighty Def Morphin. Yeah, definitely not. It, it kind of reminds me of how, uh, like, especially with the voice recognition, how uh, um, when uh, during the Psycho Ranger saga, like Psycho Red, Psycho Yellow, and Psycho Black listen to, like, recordings of uh, Ashley. Yeah. We see them specifically listen to recordings of uh, Ashley Carlos and Andros's voice, and then they go around Angel Grove trying to discover people who have the exact same voice. Yeah. And also, I love how there are people speculating on like what the power, like if the power, what the Power Rangers are, because because uh, um, in the episode "Happy Birthday, Zach," there's like a scene where uh, Ernie is all like, "Hey guys, you know, you hear about these Power Rangers? They're so cool!" And then the Rangers are like, "Power Rangers? Who are the Power Rangers?" And then Ernie is all like, "You know, the you know these guys." So I was like, "Oh yeah, those people who run around with like." in colored suits. Yeah, I didn't even hear they were human. I heard they were aliens or something. Yeah. Like, kind of similar to that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just like all the real-world ramifications for their actions. Like, yeah. the rangers are saving the world, but in the process, they also attribute to some of the destruction happening. Um, the the world doesn't immediately trust them. I think that's all amazing, like story writing to make this even stronger. It's realistic. Yeah. Yep. Because there's no way that they could do all this and not have people just go, "What the heck? Why?" Like y'all could just just say, "Yeah, we saved this and all that," but collateral damage. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of references here. So first of all, one of Billy's closest friends' name is Don, which maybe that was maybe a reference to Billy's Sentai counterparts. I don't know, but I that I just couldn't resist putting that down here. Um, Dude, I when you mentioned that in the notes when I was reading them last night, I was like, damn. I didn't catch that the first time because I hadn't watched Deer Ranger the first Me time. Me neither. Now, the other one... I, I wish that they were, but uh, the true heroes of the Power Rangers, the Vulcan Skull, because yes, they are the true heroes of the Power Rangers. At least of the main continuity. Yeah, they appear in this episode. Uh, they're now they still live in Angel Grove. Uh, they're like these obnoxious students who have their own like TMZ style school news show called BNS, where like, you know, Skull films it and Bulk goes around asking questions and they're harassing Kim for the fact that she disappeared when DC was attacked. So that's pretty yeah. cool. I, I wish Bulk and Skull were seen more often, but... And that's actually another... Here. And that's actually another uh, comic book reference because in the Mighty Warp Power Rangers issue and in Goku Power Rangers, they also did the, uh, the video thing. Oh. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. Cause um, okay, so basically, what what Mighty Morphin slash Go Power Rangers was doing, they it's not set in the nineties. It's set in the two thousands. Like I want to say about two thousand sixteen. I want to say because they all have cell phones, they're able to like you know 
stream stuff on TV and movies and all that stuff. So, like, yeah, that's basically what it is. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like set in a modern. It's like set in a modern modern time period. I would, but uh, to kind of talk with this episode, I like this episode a lot more than the previous two. Um, you know, I love how there's like. Now that, you know, we've kind of settled down with, like, the introduction of the Megazord, they're setting us up for the next big story arc, but they're also, you know, injecting a little bit of character drama. And honestly, like, the Jason, um, you know, drama with, like, you know, Tommy, that does kind of make what comes next, and I'm not going to spoil it because we're going to get into that immediately after this, but... That kind of makes things a little bit more powerful, given what's going to happen next with the Green Ranger arc. So, and you know, like you said, I mean, you just went into detail about like how clever Bondora is with discovering the Rangers' identities. Like, like this is just another like home run of an episode, in my opinion. It is, yeah. Uh, you guys want to mention anything else? Um. I think it's also very interesting that Bandora was able to procure the coin and immediately come to Earth, find Kimberly and the coin direct to Tommy. Like, because all the other Rangers are found all over the country, but Tommy here is right in the backyard. Yep. It shows how resourceful she is, too. It is, because her logic is, well, maybe if I follow these guys around, I'll find my next this Green Ranger coin owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we know in the original, she obviously knows who they are because she has that big-ass telescope that she always spies on them. Mm-hmm. But, like, here she has to be more resourceful. She has to actually, like, put clues together. Like, I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna give this one a uh, a. Uh, I'm gonna give this a ten out of ten. Actually, I really like this one. Same here. I'm going with a ten. Okay, so now we're gonna move on to the big um, story to the big story arc. Which I mean, I'm just uh, you know we don't. I'm actually gonna just take a look at like uh, all um, you know these next couple of episodes, and you know we can just discuss the story arc all together. If you guys are cool with that. Um, you there, might be a, like that? there might be too much plot here to do it, honestly. Okay, then yeah, we can just uh, we can just go episode by episode then. Um, okay. So first off, uh, we find out how Trini found her power coin at the beginning of this episode, which is called Enter the Dragon, by the way. Uh, it's her story is not as big. She just likes to. So first of all, she lives in Westchester, New York, with her mother and. Uh, she likes to go to a junkyard and like, you know, just go around finding stuff. That's actually how she found the gemstone that she gave Zach. And, uh, and that's how she found her power coin. Um, so Tommy gets captured by forces uh, in a, at the beginning. And he has a chip implanted in him, which compels him to comply with anything that Bondora says. And she gives him the dragon power coin. So keep in mind, I don't think it's safe to say that Tommy is like completely brainwashed. It's very similar to how, and to bring up another thing that 
to bring up another thing that Riz and I do a podcast on, if you guys have seen the Clone Wars, um, that uh, you'll know that like the chip in their head, it doesn't turn them into mindless slaves when they're told to execute Order 66. They're aware of what they're doing, but the chip in their head makes them do it, even yeah. if they don't necessarily want to do it, if that makes sense. Um, and that's how Tommy is. You know, he is perfectly aware of what he's doing. He's not like a mindless slave of Rita, which I like that. You know, I, yeah. I like the inhibitor chip thing in Clone Wars, and I like it here. So kind of a spoiler alert when Riz and I review Clone Wars on the Jedi Squadron, but one day that's it. Yeah, that's a different <laughs> podcast. Um, so uh, Tommy actually does things a bit more cleverly in this version. Uh, instead of just acting like a jerk, morphing into the Green Ranger, just immediately going like, Mu-ha-ha, I'm evil and I'm going to destroy the Rangers. Uh, what he does is that uh, he reveals to Kim that he found the dragon power coin. He was told about Kimberly's identity from Rita, of course. And he convinces the Rangers is the next Ranger. And he infiltrates the command center. Uh, and, and it's through Tommy that Rita is able to discover the identities of the other Rangers when he infiltrates the command center. Now, Jason, of course, has some resentment toward Tommy at first because of what we went over in the previous episode, but they make amends. Uh, Tommy lures Jason to the command center, suggesting that they together, and then they morph for the first time, and that's when Tommy makes his move. He cuts off Alpha's head, he severely damages the command center, and cuts them from Zordon. Now, that might seem familiar, but here's something that he didn't do in the original series. He stabs Jason in the chest. Dude. And... Yeah. Dude. When I when I when I when I heard okay, I have to I remember this very vividly. Okay. I was at work. I was just, you know, just doing my little work stuff, whatever, just putting stuff up. And then I hear the, the stab. The stab. I'm just like, hold on. Wait a minute. I literally stopped what I was doing. I was just like. Hold on, did I hear what you think I just heard? Like, did I hear a staff? <laughs> so, this is the episode that if the audio drama had not fully sold me on it yet, this would have been the thing to sell me a 100%. Definitely. Because, you know, the Rangers never really get hurt. Not like this, anyway. And, I mean, it's a very very powerful emotional moment yep kimberly's a freaking wreck because her boyfriend stabbed one of her friends and yep. the emotional toll and impact it has on her even in season three yep like holy crap the things that girl goes through in season three it's incredible yeah. All because of this one event. And here's, but here's what makes the stabbing even worse. Like, not only does he stab Jason in the heart, but he also says, like, just so you know, Kimberly never liked you and she always preferred me. Oh, yeah. Dude. Just, just twist the knife, mom. Like, dude, this Tommy is brutal, man. Like, 
no F given here by anyone. Like this makes Burai and Geo Ranger look like a kindergarten school bully. Right. That's what, that's what I was trying to tell you before, Nate. Like you kept telling yeah, me that no. Burai's gonna be better. And I was like, uh-uh, hold up. You gotta listen to the audio drama before you tell me those words. And um now, some important things that Tommy does here for the story. Uh, he actually takes uh, Jason's power coin and uh, he gives it to Rita. And the episode ends with uh, with uh, Jason. Uh, Jason gets taken to the hospital and the other Rangers go. And, uh, you know, I just got to I just got to tell you guys exactly how this dialogue goes. So Tom, Tom, Tommy calls Kim and she's all like, like, J- Jason's severely hurt. Like, you know, he's been you know, stabbed in the chest. And then Tommy's all like, really? He's still alive? Damn it! I should have gone for the head. And then he's all like, yeah, Kim, I did it. And I'm coming for you guys next. And what you gonna do about it? Yeah, I was like, oh, thank This dang. guy is insane. It's so crazy, man. It, It's just... I... This... this so... I would still probably say that Burai's arc is just a little bit better than the, from a story perspective, than Green with Evil. But this, like, this isn't a whole other ballpark. Like, yeah. Burai's story arc is C tier. This is S tier, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. And the Mighty Morphin is also C tier, I think. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be ballsy enough to do this. Like, oh, nobody's going to be ballsy enough to do this. What are you talking about? This is not right. something. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do this. <laughs> I'm, and you know, we, we can talk more about like how everything goes, like, you know, with the end of this, but, uh, as far as this first episode goes, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Same. Cause I mean, just same. from a storytelling perspective, I just love how Tommy manipulates the Rangers in this. Cause that was, that was one of my big gripes that I had with uh, green with evil, how Tommy just suddenly just goes from being all friendly with them to just turning into like a, a jerk and like he's already just going around like muhaha i'm evil like no he's more practical here like he yeah. infiltrates the command center by convincing him that he's one of them and then yeah. he turns against them like that's he, just but also keep in mind tommy uses them in a way that tommy didn't use them in mighty morphin yep tommy waits for them to give him a morpher to utilize the green power coin because rita doesn't know how to make a morpher so he tells Jason, hey, let's go meet in the command center. So when I get my morpher, you can teach me how to use it. Mm-hmm. He makes Jason teach him. Then he stabs him. That is diabolical. Yes. And it's, it's so well written. This is a 10 out of 10, if I haven't already said that. Yeah, I feel like it. it's much better. Like, it, it's kind of how Cat, you know, was introduced in season three. Because I like, I think Cat is much better handled as someone who was evil that turns good. Because, like, she acts all buddy-buddy with Tommy and Kimberly. And she uses that to, like, steal Kimberly's power coin and, like, steal one of his orbs. Like, this and is, steal like... steal Tommy. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Kimberly lets him go with a Dear John letter. So. I know, I know. I just had to say that because, you know, I had to joke like that. Yeah. yeah, so this is exactly how I wish that Tommy would have handled everything in Green with Evil. 
Like, can we just say we just love the fact that he's just like he he has so much personality, but it comes to it, he's just like he's still alive. Dang, I had to do better next time. You know what? <laughs> thank, thank you. Know, thank you for letting me know that, so I can finish the job. Thanks. Like oh. And by the way, Tommy's voice again. Like, are you sure they didn't get Jason David Frank to voice Tommy? It's Is kind it of crazy. Like him. So it's funny you say that, Nate, because talking to Nathan Mark Sanford of Power Trip and listening to him on the podcast that they do, when JDF died last year, they said if they ever want to bring back Tommy in any rendition in the future, just hire Zoe Sorlis, who is the actor in the audio drama. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look 100% like Tommy did in the series, but he looks similar enough that it could work. So, if I they mean, ever do, if they ever do like a like a like an animated series, I definitely would recommend him to be a yeah. be a voice for Tommy. I recommend him and whoever the heck is Jason's voice actor, because God dang, they're both fantastic. Like, I, I if you hadn't told me that was not Austin St. John and JDF. I would have thought they pulled in the real talent here, but no, they pulled in these guys who sound exactly mm-hmm. like them, and it's amazing to me. I mean, this is like on par with like how uh, James Arnold Taylor sounds a lot like Ewan McGregor. He voices Obi yeah. Wan. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, like no, no joke, no joke. I was once watching a Clone Wars episode, and my wife came in and she asked me, "Does Ewan McGregor voice Obi Wan? Because he sounds a little too much like him." Like <laughs> she was honestly shocked when that was the case. Yeah. Wasn't the case. Uh, um, but anyway, uh, so <clears throat> uh, this leads us to the next episode, <clears throat> Wrath of the Dragon. Uh, for this episode, uh, most of this is just, you know, Tommy trying to go after the team. So some very important stuff happened here, though. Uh, so Kimberly's dad, Jonathan, who's a recurring character here, he actually, so he chased Kim to the hospital in Angel Grove. He finds out that the Rangers are the Rangers' identities when they morph. Now, they he doesn't figure out that Tommy is the Green Ranger yet, but... So that's a big thing that happens. Um, Tommy attacks the hospital because, you know, he's threatening to destroy the city if the Rangers don't reveal themselves. Uh, Bondora yells to Tommy that he can use his weapon, uh, the Dragon Dagger, to summon the Dragon Zord, uh, which Tommy does. Um, Jason recovers from his injuries in this episode and re- tells Jonathan everything. And the episode ends with Tommy. He summons his dragon sword and it pretty much beats the other four ranger swords into submission. Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked this episode. Um, you know, I, I, first of all, I love how uh, Jonathan has like a big, this, the, like the, him discovering the rangers identities. Like, I don't think, I don't remember anyone discovering the rangers identities in season one. No. So. And like, can we just talk about that battle in front of the hospital real quick? Because, oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that right there was peak peak writing, or one of the peaks in this season, because there's a lot of peaks. But 
having Jonathan chase down Kimberly, find her at a hospital, and discover that her friends and her are derangers is a really big deal because the amount of emotion in Kimberly, like, she hesitates to even morph and sew him. Like, she wants to hang back to protect him. And she's already mentally very vulnerable right now because of everything to do with Tommy. Yeah. So this just adds on to that. And the other rangers are just feeling so conflicted and hurt. Like, you know, I know there's some of that in the 90s TV so, but the stakes were never this high. You never had somebody attacking the hospital. And I also do like the fact that Zordon in the earlier episode gave Tommy the golden rules of being a ranger. And then the next following episode, Zack says, screw the rules. I'm calling the Zords to help even the odds against uh, Tommy and them, even though they, don't, they haven't grown or anything. Because they're getting their asses handed to them in that battle outside. They cannot win until they call the Mastodon and the other Zords. Yeah, they do that much better than they did in the Green with Evil arc. Yes. Because also, that that was also, uh, like, I like the similarities between the old version and this version right here. Because Jason's, Jason's out of commission, but in this one, he's actually out of commission for real, for real. Yeah. They're four, the four fighting against uh, Green Ranger. They're getting their asses beat. And, you know, they have to call the Zords to tell them out. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think is really powerful in this part is, like Nate said, Jason tells Jonathan everything, and then they get in the car and they go driving out to go find the rangers to help them. But Jason's tied to an IV in the car, dude. Yeah. The real world consequences continue. You get stabbed in the TV, so you're fine. Like in like five minutes later, you get stabbed in the audio drama that lasts. Yep, that'd be important later. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but I'm giving episode six a. Uh, I'm gonna give it another ten out of ten. Really yeah. good episode. Yeah. This Bangers. This is a ten. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so now we have episode seven. Now a lot happens in this, so uh, you know, uh, bear with us, uh, everyone who's listening. So, um, so the episode begins with uh, so Tommy beats the four Rangers into submission, and he almost steals power coin, but then he gets uh, knocked back and is forced to retreat when his powers start to fail, which may seem familiar. Um, and we actually find out that the reason why his powers are failing is because Rita has been using the dragon coin for a few years to charge her magic staff, mm-hmm. uh, which belonged to her mother. And that's what the powers are basically being drained. Uh, now, now it's here that we obviously get the hints that, you know, uh, that Tommy is a, uh, that Tommy isn't is obviously aware of what he's doing and you know he's not completely brainwashed because he actually starts to feel guilty while he's sleeping over what he did which is 
I mean, kind of like how, you know, some of the clones felt guilty. I, I really hate to harken back to Order 66 in Star Wars, but like the similarities between this and like how the inhibitor chips work in Star Wars is just kind of kind of amazes me. Like, it is, yeah. And I don't I don't know if Carl if that was Carl's uh like thoughts when he did that. Maybe, maybe not, but even if it isn't, I mean very huge similarities. Yeah. Um but uh he gets called to the repulsa in sort of darkness and while he's waiting to be deployed to Earth, uh so guys, you remember how uh I told Anthony that uh when Anthony pointed out how uh, Kimberly's actress also voices Scorpina and mm -hmm. how that ends up having kind of a, that ends up kind of seeming a little screwed up. Well, yep. here we go. Oh, Lord. So uh, he gets approached by Scorpina and she starts flirting with him. And there's nothing explicitly said, but there's some sexual implications and later when scorpina is battling kim she says that she quote unquote took his innocence uh. yeah there i mean the thing the thing gets a little bit more into it than what we said but yeah, yeah. there's definitely a scene where scorpina seduces tommy into bed yeah so yeah well, like we like we said He's fully aware of what's going on in his surroundings. So it's not like he was just, you know, like the brain was off. Well, no. okay. So Tommy's aware. Let's be clear about this. Tommy's aware of what's happening. He just can't stop but it. He can't stop it from happening. He's under the influence of the tip and Rita's words. And he's trained to obey every word from Rita's crew and do it so when scorpina tells him to bed her he he can't he can't stop himself e even if he wants to he can't yep and carl yep. puts a, a very heavy uh trigger warning on this episode because this leans into sexual assault by scorpina on tommy yes correct and this this has very lasting effects as well that are felt in season two. Mm -hmm. So, because of course, you know, like people who actually have dealt with that thing that, you know, no one wishes to wish that upon anybody. Yeah. So yeah. I can understand why you would, people like he had to tell, hey, like this is a warning, like if some very messed up stuff that happened here. So if you still want to listen, just be a fair warning. This is, you know, this yeah. may set off some alarms to your, you know. Yeah. Now, uh, for the rest of the episode, so uh, Billy is able to restore Alpha, and they're able to re-energize the command center, and they locate the Repulsa, and the rest of the episode is that Zach and the girls, so Kim and Trini, they, uh, they infiltrate the Repulsa so that they can go and get uh, Jason's power coin. Uh, Zach successfully finds it, and they have to fight off... Uh, Scorpina and Goldar for a little bit before they're able to escape the ship. Uh, yeah. And that's when Rita orders Tommy to go and, uh, you know, finish the Rangers off. And uh, the episode ends where uh, Jason is able to heal himself thanks to his power coin. And 
they discover what Tom, Tommy's condition with the inhibitor chip and they make a plan to defeat him and save him. But they also acknowledge that they might have to kill him if they can't save him. And it ends with, uh, it pr probably has the most epic ending of like half these episodes where like, you know, where Jason says like, all right, guys, let's go. It's morphin time. And then the episode ends, which yeah. is awesome. I mean, that the perfect buildup for what's going to happen next. You know, you get a lot of this drama with Tommy and Scorpina. Like, I, I know I sound like a broken record when I say this, but like, this is another 10 out of 10. Like this episode is just another really amazing one. It is. I 100% agree with you here. Like this is all really well done stuff. Like back to back to back good stuff altogether. Yeah. And what what I really love is how um this is one reference that I caught uh Jason gives a speech on why the Rangers should keep fighting. The the line that he says is almost verbatim what Jason says in Green with Evil Part 4 when the Rangers are considering giving up. Like, it's pretty much like, what are we going to do? Zordon's gone. You know, the Megazords, are, like, the Zords are destroyed. And, I mean, but Jason is like, isn't even the slightest chance of victory enough for us to keep going on? Like, the world needs us, Rangers. That's one of my favorite Jason lines ever. And I'm so it glad is. they just my team, yeah. I'm so glad that they just copied it because you don't have to change that line. No, that, no, that's that's an iconic line from our fandom, and that line appears also in the Draken movie fan movie trailer thing or whatever. Yep. So this moves on to a fall of the dragon, which is basically the final episode of the this uh, audio drama's equivalent to a Green with Evil. Uh, most of this is just the Rangers battling against uh, Tommy, like their final battle. Uh, it goes down pretty similar to how the Green with Evil thing, at least from a battle standpoint. Uh, Jason you summons the Tyrannosaurus Zord, and it battles the Dragon Zord. Uh, the other Rangers face Goldar and the Golems on the ground. Um, Zordon is successfully uh, restored, and he helps uh, restore the damaged Zords. They form the Megazord. They defeat the Dragon Zord. Uh, much like in Green with Evil, Jason defeats Tommy in a one-on-one -on -one battle and manages to knock him out. And they actually take him to the medical room in the command center where they remove his inhibitor chip. And that gets yeah. him, that removes him from Rita's control. But unfortunately, Tommy is overcome with grief and remorse over what he did. He doesn't know who he is and he just runs off. He... And, you know, he wants to be left alone. And there's actually a part where, like, he just runs out of the middle of nowhere and tries to throw his dragon coin away. But something's preventing him from doing it. Very powerful stuff. Um, yeah. Zordon. Uh, now, the Empire is crippled from this, uh, from this battle. And this results in Jonathan deciding, okay, well, then Kim is not going to have any more part in this fight. So he actually takes her morpher away and he like throws it away and insists that Kimberly stay out of it. Uh, Kimberly also reveals to Goldar about Scorpina's affair with Tommy, which Goldar is naturally pretty pissed off about that. And he abandons Scorpina and she gets captured by the Rangers at the end. Meanwhile, Anthony are in the background yelling, Maury, Maury, Maury. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the episode ends with uh, 
Emperor Zed, he makes his debut here. He contacts Rita and he learns everything from Goldar because, uh, you know, Rita has been keeping that dragon coin for herself against his wishes. So she's been acting in her own self-interest and yeah. uh, Zed imprisons Rita for her failure and stealing the dragon coin for herself. And Goldar is put in charge until he arrives. Um, so this is basically just Green with Evil uh, part five with with a little bit more emotional stuff. And then they actually yeah. show like the epilogue to it at the end, which, yeah, I mean, still some really great stuff. I mean, the thing that just really stood out to me is when Tommy tries to get rid of the power coin and he just finds himself unable to. Like, I, I don't really remember... That's something that you would think would happen in Power Rangers sometimes, but I've never seen it. Like even in, even in things where they handle the evil Power Ranger a little bit better. Like I don't remember a scene where Trent tries to like throw away the white Dino Gym and finds himself unable to do it. So no, no. It, that honestly feels like it should be more common in Power Rangers, and yet it honestly I don't think it's ever happened. It's never been that powerful. I mean, maybe Ryan getting rid of the Titanium Morpher there, but the Titanium Morpher wasn't turning him evil and didn't make him do anything bad. So yeah. it's yeah. not as it's not as much of an equivalent. Well, I don't think Tommy couldn't throw it away because he was feeling evil from it. I think he couldn't throw it away because it's a part of him now. Yeah, it'd be the equivalent of cutting your arm off to Tommy. Like mm -hmm. the coin's a part of him now. Now, I do have a question for y'all. I don't know if we really went into this part of the story all that much, but what did y'all think of the Rangers storming the moon base to get Jason's power coin back prior to that battle? Oh, I loved it. Same here. It was I, I also thought... interesting. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so... This they actually did this in the comic book too, but it was a different reason they did this. They uh they stormed the uh the palace actually, but it happened in the comics as well. Yeah, I remember that in the comics. I think I've read that that up until then at least. Yeah, but definitely, I thought that was really powerful to finally see the Rangers take the fight back to them on the moon base, which is something you don't see until the finale of Zero Ranger, and you don't really ever see it in Mighty Morphin, really. Mm -hmm. Because Jason gets captured by Goldar and has to go onto on that other plane of existence or whatever. But they never decide, hey, let's just teleport to the moon base and kick some ass. Yeah, there's only a handful of seasons where I remember, like, an infiltration of enemy headquarters. Like, I yeah. think, An I know Andros infiltrates the Dark Fortress. Yep. Um, don't they do that in RPM? I think it's been a while. Uh, Casey infiltrated uh, whatever Dicey uh, all was. Dicey. Um, I in Ninja Storm they do infiltrate Lothor's ship like once or twice. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Trent got into Mezagog's Island Fortress at least well actually a couple of times, but um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I don't remember Monty Morphin like even if. You know, even in stuff that's technically original. Well, no, Tommy did infiltrate Zed's palace at one point when they were like trying to retrieve the Zeo crystal, but mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think that's it. And even oh, yeah. then, that, and even then, that was season season three, aka the season where the writing is like 
S tier for Mighty Morphin. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, but I thought, I thought we'd, I'd pivot there real quick because we didn't really talk about that in your recap. But yeah. then also, um, I, I just like the fact that the team breaks up to go have Jason and Billy work on, you know, trying to recover Zordon because Jason can't fight because he's too injured. Mm-hmm. And they need the they need Jason to get his powers back to help fight, but also they know that the powers will self heal him almost immediately. So with his powers, he can heal himself from all the trauma he went through. So I like that use of power here. It's beyond just like here's a suit of armor, go fight. It's also like a way to restore yourself. Yep. I'm giving this one another 10 out of 10. I mean, there's so much yeah. emotion behind it. It's like th- th- this whole green with the, this whole equivalent to the green with evil, like I guess we could call it just the dragon arc since every episode has a the word, has dragon. The word dragon in it. We could just call it yeah. the dragon arc. Like th- this yeah. whole thing is just like, it makes both green with evil and Burai's arc look pretty pathetic by comparison, if we're being uh, completely honest. I told you. I've been saying. Yeah. But uh, I do also want to foreshadow a little bit here before we move on. The ending of the episode with Jonathan telling Kimberly to not be a ranger anymore is actually really good setup for what we get in the next episode. Yep. And I'll use that to transition in the next episode. Uh, fallout which is uh uh this is more of like just the rangers dealing with a lot of like the emotional issues that they're dealing with since you know the battle is kind of in a bit of a pause so uh, for starters uh this episode actually begins on a very heavy-handed note uh the president of the united states and he's just like your typical president like some of these productions like to base the president over like whoever's president at the time although given who was president at the time that season one was coming out. I can't play. Uh, no comment on that, but uh, just uh, the president, he comes out and he brands the Rangers an enemy of the United States and gives a shoot on site order. And he orders the Rangers to either surrender themselves or surrender to Tommy. And that's when Goldar gets an idea to like, have like turn the world against the Rangers, which is big. Uh, Tommy initially opts to turn himself in hearing this, but he's actually seeing a therapist right now and he's encouraged to cut off those that were a bad influence on him and stand up to them with his friends. And she's obviously she's, you know, telling him without knowing all the stuff that he's done as a ranger, but he decides, okay, I should use my powers as a force for good. Uh, Vinster, uh, here uh he create he creates a monster to attack georgia wait empire what do you have against my home city i mean i know atlanta isn't the greatest city but why do you have to do that i mean it's cities. the only big city they had an attack by that point yeah that's yeah that's true yeah so uh, i overwhelms the four rangers but then tommy arrives and he saves them declaring 
uh, but you know, he'll make up for all he did by fighting alongside the Rangers. Uh, but then unfortunately the military arrives and they threaten to shoot it, shoot him down. Now, uh, elsewhere, it's revealed that Rita has escaped her prison from the Empire, and she appears before the Rangers, and she uses her magic staff to revive the monster, pretty much exactly how she made her monsters grow in season uh, in season three, uh, season one, sorry. And uh, the monster proves to be too powerful when she makes it grow, and that's when Billy is able to discover uh, this new combination they form the Dragon Sword battle mode, which if you've seen Power Rangers, you know, combine the Dragon Sword with the uh, Sabertooth Tiger, Mastodon, and Triceratops. And they defeat the monster, but then they're forced to retreat when the United States Air Force attacks them. Uh, Tommy goes to Kim's house at the end. He gives her her morpher and communicator back, and she decides to return. And they start to kind of rekindle their relationship. And the episode ends uh, where... The Rangers all unite. Tommy's welcome to the team, and they vow to fight, fight, up, fight on, and they do the trademark Power Rangers while they uh, have their hands together, which is awesome. But unfortunately, uh, Rita is revealed to be posing as a normal human being, and she is rescued by from the wreckage from a rescue crew. A uh, couple of things to note here. Um, so for starters. Uh, at the beginning of this episode, it's revealed that Jonathan and Kim's mom are getting a divorce and he's leading, he's leaving their home. And this kind of plays into the main series. Uh, Kim's parents are already divorced in the uh, main series. Uh, the only difference is that I hear Kim is still going to be living with her mom. But uh, in the main series, uh, Kimberly lives with her father. I think her mom lives in Paris in the yeah. main series. But yeah, um, uh, we get another G Ranger reference. Uh, Billy identifies the combination as Go Ryujin, which was its name in G Ranger, but they decide to call it the Dragon Sword Battle Mode. And uh, other than that, the only other thing is that you know, them putting their hands together and saying Power Rangers, you know, we see them do it in Day of the Dumpster, we see them do it in a uh, Green with Evil Part Five, just. Really cool to see them do that. Well, not here, but listen to them do that yeah. in this case. So what did we all think of this episode, guys? Really well done. And I think one of my favorite parts of this is the behind-the-scenes planning that Carl and his team had to put together because he meticulously planned it for Jonathan to be upset with Kim being a ranger, taking away her powers, and forcing Dragon Zord battle mode to be needed, like required because they couldn't form the main Megazord because Kim's not there anymore. Like, that took a lot of planning and forethought that I don't think even Saban gave to the series all that much. Yeah, definitely. Because Saban just did whatever the footage told him to do. But here, Carl is weaving a story that's so tight that everything impacts everything and provides different configurations. And when we get to season two, I have a lot of different like configuration Easter eggs that I found really fun mm -hmm. that I want to comment on when we get there. And... Um... 
again, I I hate to sound like a broken record for all the listeners, but this is another just ten out of ten. Like, there's literally nothing wrong with this episode. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, Tommy's guilt and like what he's doing and how he decides to make up for what he did by fighting alongside the Rangers. Like, I know that sounds cliched, but they handle it perfectly and. Tommy actually feels guilt over what he did, something that he didn't feel in the original series. Like, honestly, I feel like Kat showed a bit more guilt for what she did in season three. Like, it it, it honestly reminds me a lot of Ryan from Lightspeed Rescue, how he regrets everything he did when he was evil. And yeah. besides, he wants to make up for it by being a force for good. So much so that he literally puts his life on the line when he has that curse put on him. So it it's um like this is the equivalent to that and I absolutely love it. Yeah. No, this Same is here. this is really well written. This is just how many times can I say fantastic, amazing, badass before it loses its meaning? Mm-hmm. It never will. <laughs> you never will. Like you, I'll never run out of ways of saying that. All right, so now we have episode 10, Titanus. Uh, this episode is very similar to the season one episode, Gung Ho. The only difference is that uh, in that episode, uh, Jason and Tommy were sent to find those, uh, whatever the Thunderslingers were called in Power Rangers. I don't know what they were called. Uh, but um, they, uh, and they, here they're sent to go find Titanus. Um, you know, the... Um, so Jason and Tommy clash over who's a more worthy leader and they discover and Zordon informs that the final Zord Titanus has been located on the planet Mars and he sends Jason and Tommy um, to go find it so that they can learn to work together. Uh, they make amends pretty quickly and they successfully tame Titanus um, and just like in that episode gung ho tommy actually transfers his dragon shield to jason at one point so yeah this was very very heavily inspired by the episode gung ho which is fine i mean i really like that episode so yeah. uh, um now some other things that happen uh trini and kim are sent to atlanta to find rita and they find her she's disguising herself as a human woman named michiko soga which that's another reference. That's the name of the actress who played Bondora in G-Ranger. Um, R.I.P. Machiko Soga. And she warns Trini and Kim about what Lord Zed is capable of before knocking them out. And uh, she also reveals that he's collected many Ranger powers uh, because he wants to create his own army of evil Rangers. That's why he wants the Rangers power coins. Yeah. And the episode ends with the like they're cheering on the Titanus uh, victory, but unfortunately, Serpentera, and you all know how intimidating that is if you've seen Power Rangers, mm -hmm. is approaching Earth. It's go time, baby. Um, th this episode felt, I mean, I'm still going to give this a 10, mostly because I like the Tommy and Jason dynamic and how they like you know they clash with each other like i mean it's not like it's not like geki and burai being brothers but honestly it's handled even better than that because like i mean riz went on a rant about how bad geki and burai's relationship is like handled but and jason and tommy's relationship 
Nate. Bit I think we lost love triangle with. They're both in a bit of a love triangle with Kimberly and all that. So it makes sense for them to clash, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Welcome back. Sorry. I'm going to assume you're saying um, that Jason and Tommy had a lot of animosity with each other because of their love for Kimberly. Yeah. But it's a good way to kind of rectify that by sitting on a mission together. Yeah. And I think it's handled pretty good. Yeah. I think the only part that's a little bit sad for me is my man Zach in this episode kind of gets downplayed. Yeah. Because Jason and Tommy are sent by Zordon because he wants them to fix themselves. Kimberly and Trini go to find Rita because they're more subtle. And Billy and Zach are doing brain stuff in the command center to be like, to do like technology stuff. But Zach doesn't have any technology. But it's Zordon's way of keeping Zach out of trouble, quote unquote. Yeah. And and I didn't really that's the only part I wasn't really a big fan of. Like Zach could have been given something meaningful as well, you know? Yeah. But it also the other way I look at it on the flip side, it's because Zach is so well written that he doesn't need to be developed any more than he already is yeah i would say that yeah double um, sword. but yeah i'm giving i'm giving this one another 10 out of 10 i'm so i know i sound like a broken record but these episodes are just so amazing yeah they're all so, yeah i'm going with a 10 here as well all right so now we have the uh anthony are you giving it a 10 out of 10 yeah Okay, cool. So now we're moving on to the two-part finale, episode 11, Doomsday Part 1, and episode 12, Doomsday Part 2. That uh, that reference is obviously meant to be, uh, you know, the two-part episode of season one, Doomsday, which if you guys know Power Rangers, you'll know that was supposed to be the series finale of Power Rangers originally before they realized, oh, wait, this show is super popular. Yeah, let's not end it. Let's keep it going on. Uh which thank God they did that. But um, so the episode begins Emperor Zed, he sends a message to earth and, you know, he basically says the Rangers need to turn themselves in, uh, in one hour or else he'll destroy cities. And the cities that he specifically refers to are the cities where the Rangers live in. So Chicago, um, Edmonton, yeah. Westchester, Sacramento, and Angel Grove. Yeah. Um, no, this is Edmonton, New Jersey, not Edmonton, Canada. Right. And the Rangers want to surrender at first, but Jason urges them to fight on. And they send Zed a message that they won't surrender, and they fight off a group of golems before Zed attacks the city with his invasion force. Uh, that's led by Goldar's personal zord, Cyclopsis, which... You'll know that will sound familiar if you've seen if you've seen Doomsday. And they battle it with the Megazord and Dragonzord. Um and the battle gets really complicated when the US Air Force intervenes and it begins firing on the Ranger Zords. Uh Cyclopsis proves to be too powerful. And the then Titanus arrives and the Rangers combine to, their Zords to form the Ultra Zord. And with the Ultra Zord, the Rangers are able to defeat Cyclopsis, but it survives and it's forced to retreat. 
and then Serpentera arrives. And this is probably one scene where like, honestly, when I was, when I was listening to this, I honest to God, couldn't believe what I was listening to in a really good way, by the way, I'm not saying this is bad. This is probably one of the most like insane things that's happened in any tokusatsu thing. But so for those of you who might, for those of you who are, you know, probably saying, well, I've yet to see anything huge happen. Well, get ready. I'm about to tell you what happens. So it's about to go down. Yeah. Serpentera arrives and Zed recalls all of his forces because Serpentera has an ultimate weapon and Zordon forces the Rangers to retreat and Zordon releases an energy wave that, and you can hear people screaming and all this hor horrifying. You mean Zed? Yeah, Zed. Sorry. Uh, Zordon. Zordon releases Z-Wave and later in the future, probably. Yeah, but <laughs> Serpentera unleashes this raging energy wave, and it just the city of Chicago is no more. Like Chicago is nothing but like just one big like crater, basically. Yeah. It, when that happened, I honest to God, like it. I was honest to God just speechless for a second it, after it, I heard that. Honestly, it hurt. The story writing here hurt because in the scenes prior, you heard Jason on the phone with his mom telling him telling them to get out of the city, like earlier in the episode. So it hits home. Again, this series is all about consequences in the real world. The team willfully knew that they were risking the safety of everyone and that Zed had threatened to destroy the world city by city. So they knew what the odds were. They knew what the risk was. And they still tried to, you know, do what they could. Um, and unfortunately, this time, Jason loses his entire family and his hometown in one fell swoop. Yep. Jason is, of course, left pretty torn up about that. Uh, his family actually died in the attack, it's revealed. And yeah. the Rangers blame themselves for the fact that it happened, uh, and they consider surrendering. And J But Jason insists that, you know, they need to keep fighting so that something like Chicago doesn't happen again. And the episode ends with uh, Rita Bondora, who's still in her human form. She arrives at the command center and offers to form an alliance with the Ranger. And that transitions us to the very next episode, the finale of season one, where um, Rita reveals a weakness in Serpentera and, you know, and demands that the Rangers let her go free and also free Scorpina. Now the rain now Zordon doesn't want the Rangers to do it, but Jason agrees to do it. Um, Scorpina is set free and she and Rita go to Arizona where they'll be safe from any attack. And once they discover the weaknesses of both Cyclopsis and Serpentera, the Rangers prepare to challenge Zed. Uh, they first have to, you know, get assurance from Jason that he won't do anything like rash or anything like, you know, and they promise, hey, Jason, just keep your composure. And when this is all over, we'll be here for you. 
which very powerful and emotional moment. Love yeah. it. And then the Rangers confront Z Zed's forces. They fight them off. They use the Ultra Zord to destroy Cyclopsis, which that leads to Zed concluding that Rita betrayed him. Then they defeat Serpentera, although they do it without uh, with the Dragon Sword severely damaged. Unfortunately, though, the victory is short-lived. The U.S. Air Force attacks, and it fires on the main five dinosaurs uh, and destroys them, which I'll talk about how I feel about that in a second. Um, the Rangers help Tommy out of the wreckage, and uh, Zed's ground forces engage in an all-out attack. The Rangers stand against him, during which Tommy goes after Lord Zed, and it's here that his powers finally give out uh you know his suit vanishes but he still fights on and he actually corners lord zed uh he actually comes close to killing lord zed uh he has lord zed cornered with a laser rifle but then goldar goldar stabs tommy in the chest and kills him yes kills him like in the comic i, well, wish I don't I know if goldar kills him in the comic does he, Anthony? Does no. He kill him? Actually, it was Draken that kills him. Oh. oh, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. Yep. Stabbed to the back. Yep. So but he had stabbed in the back here, too. Yeah, because um, he was on a date with Kimberly when that happened. That's the crazy part. Wait, what? Yeah, he was on a date with Kimberly when this happened. Oh, oh wow. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. So Zed and Goldar are forced to retreat. Uh, the Rangers mourn over Tommy's death, uh, with Kim and Jason being the most torn up. Uh, Zordon reveals that Tommy can't be saved, but you know the Dragon Zord survived, and they hope to transfer the Dragon powers to Jason. But Jason is just angry, like, really, you're not upset the fact that we just lost Tommy, and he literally tells Zordon, like, screw you in this. Which, hearing Jason say that is absolutely insane. Oh yeah, and the episode and the season ends with the Rangers wondering what they're going to do with all the losses that they've taken, and that's the cue for the shopkeeper who who sold Zach his power coin. He introduces himself as Master Kaku. Sentai well, fans he, will know. he enters the command center. Yep, that's a very important detail we have to mention that he enters yeah. the command center. And he reveals his name as Master Kaku. If you guys are Sentai fans, then you'll know that name. And Master Kaku has his own team of Rangers, the Thunder Rangers. And that's how season one ends. On a huge cliffhanger. Yep. Now, a, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, what's really cool is that Tommy... Uh, transfers his dragon shield to Zack in this episode, which he also did in uh, season one. Zack was the only ranger other than Tommy and Jason to wear it. Um, what's funny is that uh, Zack wore it in uh, the season one finale in Oyster Stew. I mean, in Oyster Stew was a much less epic episode, but still pretty cool. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but that's pretty awesome. And then I do have a reference listed for Master Kaku, but I want to wait until the next podcast since if i say anything here yeah. that'll be a spoiler yeah, yeah I'm, I'm holding my tongue on anything to do with the thunder rangers right now uh but about this uh 
the the only gripe that I honestly have with this, and even then, this is just me trying to nitpick, is that I really don't like how it's the U.S. military that destroys the dinosaurs. Like, really extremely powerful monsters can't destroy these things, but like Earth technology from like a military is able to destroy it. Like, couldn't you just have had that? Couldn't you have just have had it where like maybe the Zords sacrifice themselves to destroy Serpentera and that's how they get destroyed? Nah, too much work. like too much like, making sense. Yeah, that, that's the that's the only gripe that I have. Yeah. It's yeah. a minor nitpick. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but but it's something that I can overlook. Like this series yeah. has earned the right to have like an issue like that. And it's just a minor issue in my opinion. It is. And it leads to some very interesting dynamics next season, which we'll talk about next time. I mean, if the U.S. military was using WMDs, like a nuclear weapon or something, maybe I could buy them possibly destroying the Megazord with that. But just conventional, like, fighter jets? No. That's the one issue I have. Yeah. Do you guys agree? Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's like in Lightspeed Rescue how the Rangers destroy the Light Force Megazord with uh, with um, two torpedoes shot at it from a submarine. It's like, really, this thing survived taking attacks from Super Diabolico and Super Olympias, but two shots from a torpedo destroy it? Like, <laughs> come on, come on, guys. <laughs> But what did you guys think of this episode? Uh, man, like, hearing Tommy die at the end and Kimberly's, like, reaction again, like, Kimberly's emotional breakdown really gets to me. And it's just the most incredible thing ever. Like, how much emotion they put into it and how much it feels real, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think this episode is really powerful in a lot of ways. So Jason coming to grips with Chicago and trying to push through it to continue being the red. It has the Rangers all dealing with the consequences of their actions, which really that's the theme of this season is yeah. consequence and dealing with their actions afterwards. Because throughout the entire season they deal with the United States government and the other world powers trying to villainize them and attack them. They deal with, you know, being grounded and getting homework and bad grades. There are just so many different examples of them having consequences to deal with here. And that roots this in much more, like, realism, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, Tommy's death, like, I, and I've seen my fair share of, uh, you know, Sentai Ranger's death. Like, this might be, like, it's, it, well, first of all, it's way better than Burr Eye's death. Yeah. uh, Yeah. um, I'd probably say that it's on par with, like, the depths of Time Fire and Avar Killer. Like, it's a very emotional moment. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And see, part of... Okay, so you remember that big rant I did in the Deer Ranger review? Yeah. About how Boy and... No, not Boy, but Ghosty and May were kind of crying when Barai died with Geki. Remember well, that? It, well, it was Boy and May, but Scap still. Whatever. Idiot yeah. 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's all they're known as. <laughs> um, yeah, so... And Zero Ranger, I hated that scene because it was so ingenuine. Like, th they didn't know Barai. They never spent time with him. They didn't really get to know him. But here, it's easier for the team to forgive Tommy after everything he did. Yeah. Because they had a relationship with him before. Like, they weren't best friends, but... Zach, Trini, and Billy at least had a relationship with him because they met him at that party the one time and they got along just fine. Uh, Kimberly obviously loves him as a boyfriend and Jason rightfully didn't like him because he was kind of encouraging on the girl that he wanted. And he's but, then the two, but then the two actually formed a connection while they were on yeah. Mars. So their reaction to Tommy... And being able to forgive him makes a lot more sense here than it did in Zero Ranger because nobody made any attempt to know Barai. Mm hmm So yeah, that's a that's a big deal right there. Yeah. And I just and what makes this even more frustrating is that the way that Tommy dies. Like he's so close. Like he is he is in a position where he can kill Lord Zed and end everything. And instead, you think this could be it. Like, and they actually play everything as if it could be triumphant. And then they just drop the bombshell on you out of nowhere, where Goldarch just stabs him in the back. Like, it's it's insane in my opinion. Yeah. And I just like I and I love how the episode ends where you know like I really love how the episode ends where you know they they're trying to convince you that like you know all hope looks lost but they leave you on like a bittersweet but somewhat positive note that there could be yeah. more hope. Yeah. A new hope is rising. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and is it possible to give an episode an 11 out of 10? Because that's what I'm going to give this episode, honestly. I I was going to say the same thing, Nate. So I'm kind of mad you beat me to the punch here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like this, like, this is amazing, honestly. Like, this is countdown to destruction. No, this is, this insanity. exceeds, this exceeds countdown to destruction. Yeah. By far. Like, okay. I don't know if it would exceed the end of time because the end of time is still an amazing and emotional finale. But yeah, no, but this, um, this exceeds and does laps around Countdown Destruction to me. And those are very strong words coming from me. Mm -hmm. But no, the audio drama season one finale is just that amazing. And it'll only be topped. By season two. <laughs> yeah. 
Because that season two finale, guys. Yeah. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Um, so yeah, we could just transition into the analysis. Like we don't really have to talk about like, you know, story and everything. Uh, but what do we think of the villains of this? They're all these amazing. Guys, these guys are all written so well. Like I love the Goldar and Scorpion relationship. And I love how there's a little bit of like drama with Scorpion and Goldar because he slept with Tommy. Mm -hmm. And I, I love Bandora's like capabilities here. Like she doesn't start off a very powerful villain, right? But she definitely has the intelligence to <laughs> lay the smackdown as needed. Yep. And honestly, given time, had Zed not appeared, I think Rita would have done some real damage herself. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely. I would, um, yeah, I would probably say that. And I, what I love about Goldar is how, like, you know, he's not just a dumb lackey for Rita. Like, he actually does have legitimate resentment toward Rita. Yeah. And, I mean, he's probably the most boring of these. I mean, of the main ones. I mean, I know Vincent Squad and Babu are a thing in this, but. They don't really well, Fincher, uh, well, okay, so Squat and Babu don't really do a lot beyond, like, the first episode or two. I mean, Vinster is kind of interesting because, I mean, to spoil just a slight bit in season two, he's the one guy who remains loyal to Rita. Yeah. Kind of like how in the Lightspeed Rescue uh, villain drama, like, you know, everybody turns against Olympias, but the one person who remains loyal to Olympias is Jinxer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. like, so you could say, like, Vinster is to Rita what Jinxer was to Olympias. Yeah. Uh, in the next one. But that, but that's about it. Like, I, but if I look at, like, the big people who I do much of the stuff in it, I, Goldar is technically the most boring of these, but he's still a pretty cool character. Poor guy loses his wings again. Yeah. And he lost his wife. Yep. I, honest, I honestly feel sorry for him through that. But there's some really fun resolution later about that. Yeah. In season three. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm you you don't know what's happening, Nate. Season three, <laughs> stuff happens. Just yeah, a little coaster of emotions. I'll probably get on season three very soon. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the Ranger characters here and there, but uh, I kind of want to. Um, I so we kind of mostly know like what's going on with like Jason, Kimberly, and Tommy, and like everything, because like you know a lot of their actions are directly connected to the plot. So uh, do we want to? Maybe we should talk a little bit more about like how Billy, Trini, and Zach are, since you know we haven't mentioned what they're there much like how, how do we feel about zach billy and trini in any particular order like any anybody want to go first you said zach trini and billy yeah okay of those three zach okay it's a tough call for me because all three of them have so many good parts to them 
but my true loves here are Zach and Trini. Yeah. yeah. Like, Zach, I, I will never stop laughing, Anthony, at <laughs> Mastodon. Get your ass down here. <laughs> That'll never I not be funny it. to me. I know, right? Because <laughs> I'm just imagining this kid from, you know, a rougher part of New Jersey. And he's kind of just thrown into this ranger life. And he's like, man, I didn't ask for you to sit. But all right, I'm here. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that that mentality right there. And and he like says, "Man, screw this formality. Master, I get your ass down here and let's fight." <laughs> and just that characterization alone is just amazing to me. Yeah, and I can see Zach having that type of attitude. Like, but yeah. like I said, like in Green with Evil Part Two, like the Rangers summon the Zords to fight off Tommy, even though Zordon told them never to ask a way to battle. Like, I could just see that happen. Like, okay, come on, guys. Let's just summon the Zords. But Zach, Zordon and Zordon said that we're not supposed to summon the Zords. And Zach would be like, man, screw that stuff. Zordon ain't here. I'm in charge now. Summon the Zords. That part. <laughs> but, I, but moving on to Trini, the other really amazing, like, top tier, like, the, the, all six characters are top tier. There's not a single character in this that I would not call S tier. Mm -hmm. But Trini just hits differently because she's not fully based on the 90s Trini. She has elements of the 90s Trini, but she also has elements of the movie. And then there's a lot of original stuff as well. And Trini's personality, her demeanor, and the way she talks, it's just very endearing and adorable, and I just love her character. Like, she says what's on her mind with no, like, filter, basically. And the entire Tiger Kitty Zord thing is just amazing to me. Yeah. But she always speaks her mind. She, she's kind of the one that's like, well, I guess now that this has happened, I guess we gotta, we're kind of screwed now, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Like, she just kind of talks in that fun way, and I just love her personality. I love her demeanor. Just an amazing character. Um, what, I, what I love is that, uh, I mean, it's only subtly hinted here and there in this season. It's going to be a lot more prominent in the next season. I love how they kind of have a thing where, like, she has a thing for Billy. Because if... If there's one couple where, like, a lot of people have, like, you know, those couples where couples in Power Rangers where they weren't really couples, but you kind of wish they were couples. Billy and Trini is, like, one of those top people yeah. where they just, they had a lot more chemistry. Like, I really wish that Billy and Trini were a thing in Power Rangers. And I know Billy probably had more girlfriends than any of the other male Rangers, <laughs> which is weird, but... Still, I think he and Trini had a lot of really great chemistry that could have been romantic. No, definitely. Um, and not to spoil season two and three, but as we get further into the audio drama, the romantic relationships get very interesting in a good way. Yeah. Like, there's some stuff that I didn't really expect. 
but when I look back at it in terms of the audio drama, I'm like, dang, this is a good move. Good job, Carl. Mm hmm. Um, what about Billy, though, guys? Billy is very more phenomenal, to use his own word here. Mm hmm. So, Billy to me. It's exactly Billy from the 90s in the early days. Like, nerdy, very uh, to the point, um, but very loyal. And I think that really shows here quite a bit. And I, I greatly love Billy's character in this. Like, I, I can't think of a negative thing to say about any of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. How about you, Nate? I know your Billy is one of your favorite characters from the nineties adaptation. Yeah, I, I like Billy. You know, one thing that I forgot to mention was that uh, he apparently spends a lot of time in the command center, and they ask like, "But Billy, what about your personal life?" And then Billy is all like, "Eh, I've just been getting some bees on some of my tests recently." <laughs> which is that's actually kind of funny. I don't know if that was meant to be a reference because there's an episode of season one in the Jew two era where Billy gets a B on his test and like literally when he gets that B he's like oh like the camera literally zooms out as if like <laughs> the world is blowing up because like getting a B for Billy is like the worst thing in the world so I I don't know if that was meant to be kind of a a joke on that but it works I, I think I think that goes back to consequence here Nate yeah um, because here, Billy knows the consequence of him spending time being a ranger and studying all the technology in the command center and the Zords will result in his grades kind of faltering a little bit. But there are two things to take away from this. One, Billy knows the consequences that he lived with and he did fine by it. But two, even with the world going to hell... Homeboy is pulling bees in school. Mm -hmm. That that is that just proves his intelligence is there. Yep. I, but yeah, I think he's very true. Uh, you know, I love how. I mean, I don't know if it, it's not as prominent here, but I love how you know he's so clueless when like Trini tries to like drop hints to him. It's more prominent in the next season, but. Mm -hmm. he, but even this season, you know, I just love how, I mean, the only thing that I would say that uh, that's different from him in, like, season one, Billy, is that he doesn't speak in, like, so, um, in, like, you know, really, like, so long sentences that Trini needs to translate, like. They're babble. Like, yeah, like, you know, like, the whole thing, like, Kimberly, you know, my mind is totally appreciative of this transcendental genre of music in which he's like what billy likes the music <laughs> or something like so but i mean it's it's no big deal i mean i still think that this version of billy is pretty great but uh to kind of wrap up with character analysis uh how would we and now i'm not just talking about zach trini and billy i'm talking about all six of them now how would we rank the characters, each of us? That's going to be hard because I, I like all of them. I don't know if I can do it. Uh, me personally, I would do Tommy from the start just because 
I mean, first of all, it's Tommy, but okay, moving past that. Uh I I love how, you know, they handle him going like turning good from evil perfectly. So it's great. Uh I would put Jason after that, just because, you know, Jason goes through a lot of emotional stuff and I love the whole emotional thing that they put him through after he loses his city. Um, I would honestly put Zach as number three, just because Zach is just entertaining and I love him. Uh, then Billy. No, no, no. Then Trini, because I honestly think Trini is a lot more. In some ways, I might find Trini to be the only one who's a bit more, who's like leagues more interesting than her main series counterpart, because I don't hate Trini. I just, I had issues with Trini that I made clear in our MMPR season one review. Um, but I really like Trini here. Then I would do Billy, then Kimberly. But again, I, that's not to say that Kimberly is a bad character. It's just, I didn't find her to be the best out of all of them. So that would be my ranking. I'm going to go with Jason at the top character here, followed by Zach, Trini, Tommy, and uh, Kimberly, I think. Okay. So my my thought my my reason here is Jason just had the most devastating story and emotion. Zach is my man. Like he's that's my boy right there, you know. So I I, I gotta give him some love here. Yep. Um Tommy is great. Don't get me wrong, I'm putting him at number four, but still he he really kills it. But no, definitely that that's what I'm kind of leaning on right now. It's hard to rank these guys though. And what about you, Anthony? It's still hard to rank these guys, honestly. If Okay, I'm gonna put Jason, then Tommy, then Zach, Billy, Trini, and uh, Kimberly. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Not to say that that like you know I put them in the order because I think I think some are bad or some are good. It's just that's just how I want to rank them. Yeah. Now, normally, this is where we would uh, give our final ranking of season one, but we really don't have to because it's going to be a 10. <laughs> like, yeah. And all I just want to say with like our final thoughts here is at least my final thoughts is if you're listening to this, if you decided to skip this without just for some basic review stuff without listening to the spoilers, what are you doing? Go and go and listen to this audio drama. It's amazing. It's great. I don't know what you're doing with your life if you haven't listened to it yet. No, yeah, this this audio drama is what I would hope that Hasbro would do if they rebooted the franchise and redid Mighty Morphin one day. Like, mm -hmm. I want them to contact Carl Dutton, get him to write the Hasbro reboot. Forget forget that Entwizzle guy or whatever his name is. I don't care about him. Get Carl Dutton a job working at Hasbro doing this. Like, he will write an amazing story for you. 
I, I cannot give any higher praise than that. He is just that amazing at what he did here. And the these actors like Zoe Thorless is the one I remember most because he's Tommy. But man, he really kills the Tommy voice. Do you have any closing thoughts, Anthony? It's just great. That's all I can say. Anthony saying, it's late. I've said my piece. Get the heck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm still feeling ill. So Yeah. But yeah. There's not much else we can say without giving spoilers on season two. And um, three. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll just wrap it up with that. But, you know, you guys should absolutely check this out. Um, and it, uh, if only just to give the fan creations such as this a little bit more love, cause like, yeah, you know, there, there are fans who put a lot of efforts into their own original stuff, myself included. I do my own fan stuff. Like it, it's just important for us to show support for some of our fans, fellow fans yeah. when they make their own stuff from the ground up. And I, I will say that I have made a couple of friends in the Houston area who are making indie tokusatsu live action like films or TV shows or sorts or whatever. And we will be spreading the love to those guys going forward. Like, yep, they they have some amazing works out there that they're doing. And what little I've seen of their stuff at like uh, the convention I've been to lately. Um, really awesome work, and we need to really give our thanks to the fandom for creating some really awesome work like this. Mm -hmm. So that wraps this up. Uh, next time, uh, we will have Patrick back with us. We're going to be taking a look at the first 10 case files that's what the episodes are called of Mirai Sentai Time Ranger. So we're looking the the bad stuff, at least for 2023, is over. We are taking a look at good stuff from here on out. Well, before year. we get to Time Ranger, we also have Cosmic Fury dropping this Friday. Right. And we'll, so take we'll, be, we'll be very busy giving you all the best of 2023 from here on out. Yep. Yep. And we will also be doing Season 2, uh, where I'm working on just, uh, you know, fixing some notes for that. But we'll be doing Season 2 after that. We won't do season three of this until they've completed it. And I don't know when that'll be because we still don't know when the Screen Actors Guild strike is going to wrap up. And even when it does, we don't know how um, how much more Carl has to work on. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you season three as soon as we can. Uh, with that said, we thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. Uh, you know, if you guys appreciate our work, then, you know, do us all a favor and like show Carl Dutton the same appreciation that you show us. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you're not already subscribed. If you listen to us on iTunes or Spotify, you guys, you know, you know, leave us a star ranking on there. And uh, we thank you guys so much for listening. And you can reach out to us on AnimeSecrets.org to give us um, our to give us any feedback you might have, uh, you know, stuff that you would like for us to review, like a Sentai series or something akin to that. Um, and uh, yeah, we thank you guys so much uh, at, because, you know, we love you guys. Without you guys, we would not be able to do this. And we enjoy, you know, giving our perspectives for the fans. And so once again, we thank you guys so much for watching. 
and we will see you guys next time when we start taking a look at both Cosmic Fury and Mirai Sentai Time Ranger. But until that time, you guys stay safe. We love you, and may the power protect you.